You know, I was uh, I was reminded this past week of how stressful things are around Christmas, but they probably were never as stressful for any of us as it was for that holy family a couple of thousand years ago. Being uprooted from their home in Nazareth and having to take what was probably a three or four day journey on a donkey to get to Bethlehem, no room for them. Uh, that's stress. Uh, I was on the expressways this week. How many of you had the courage? I think we need to change the name. They are not expressways, they're stressways. Very stressful. I had a stressful experience yet last night. Uh, my wife has been in the hospital and home now for a few days. And about 5.30 last night, there was something I'd been looking for to, to get her. And so I got in the car and I went to the mall and it was drizzling. And I had to park and the garage was full. So I was walking and went across the street there on Jones Mossberger. And water was standing in different places. And I was standing there waiting until I could get across. And a guy came by in a a big automobile, and there was a big baptistry right there in front of me. <laughs> and he hit that thing and just covered me with water. And I stood there. <laughs> and I said, joy to the world. <laughs> I knew I'd been baptized. I've now been sprinkled, but I, uh, I did make it in there and made it okay. And uh, I had a wonderful time, and I, I want to talk to you this morning. It's going to be a little different uh, procedure. I want to talk to you first about uh, a, a donkey. A donkey. At our school, Mission Springs Christian School, we had a wonderful pageant on the Wednesday. And all the children, 100 plus of them, uh, fifth grade went to the kindergarten and said, is there any room? They said, no, no room. Went to each one of the classes in the little campus we have there. Uh, finally, we all met together and uh, had the Christmas experience there, the manger scene, and uh, the parents were there. It was a wonderful thing. And each one of the children that were participating uh, in the, uh, the actual pageant of the manger scene uh, were dressed like uh, the, the person they were representing. Angels were dressed like angels, and shepherds like shepherds, and kings like kings, and cows like little girl had on the dress, all black and white, big old spots on it. And uh, my granddaughter, Julia Fanning, uh, volunteered to be the donkey. And so she had big, big ears on and was dressed up like the donkey. And so I called her the day before yesterday, and I said, Now, Julia, I've never told a story in church about your father, about Mike, or Steve, or Lisa, or any of the other grandchildren without first getting their permission, because I would not embarrass them for anything in the world. But I said, uh, Would you mind if I talked about the fact that you were a donkey in the Christmas page? She said, and I explained to her why, and she said, yes, yes. Typical of her wonderful volunteering spirit. Uh, so I want to talk about the donkey for a minute. I said to Julia and I, 
got to thinking about it myself and share a few ideas with you that may help enhance this season. It's the only animal Jesus ever rode, as far as we know. A donkey. A donkey carried him in his mother's womb to his birth. And a donkey on the, the triumphal entry, a donkey carried him in the hands of his father to die on the cross. A donkey. Many years ago, I read, and I cannot remember the author's name, 30 years or so ago, he wrote a statement that I had incorporated in my own mind and life. When people come up and say nice things, and they do, and write notes, and that makes us feel good, and we love to have it be encouraged, everybody does, and people say that was a good sermon, one thing or another, and I thank them, and I say, I hope it helped, it's marvelous. But I picked up the impression from this man years ago that we must always remember as the donkey remembered when he was carrying Jesus in the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem a few days before his death. The crowds on Palm Sunday were screaming and crying and oh, it was a celebration beyond celebration and everybody was applauding. And the donkey knew that they were not applauding him. They were applauding the one whom he was carrying. So when people say nice things, down in my heart I remember to tell myself, but to remember, you're just a donkey. And if you can say amen, we're going to have trouble here. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're just a donkey. I'm just a donkey. In fact, that's what all of us are. What are we here for if not to carry people to Bethlehem to be introduced to the baby that has come to change your life? Are we not all here to take people to the cross to help them see where their sins are forgiven and salvation has come forever and ever? The church is nothing but a bunch of donkeys lifting up Jesus, carrying him to new births and people's lives and to eternal salvation through his cross and his resurrection. So, celebrate the donkey. Now, two other things in the story of Jesus I want to emphasize. And for us to do that, I would like us to sing, The Light of the World is Jesus. We're going to talk about the combination of darkness and light in Jesus' life and in my life and in yours. Have you stopped to think how often major events in the life of Jesus took place in the dark? He was born at night. On numerous occasions, he prayed all night. In the upper room, seated beside Judas, 
knowing that he was the betrayer, Jesus said, do what you must do. And Judas got up and left, and the scripture says, and it was night. He was betrayed at night. He went to Gethsemane in the darkness and cried, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but if not, your will be done. The night of incredible agony. He was arrested at night, imprisoned at night, tried at night. And crucified at night because, though placed on the cross at 9 o'clock, it was not until 12 o'clock that the sun went out. Darkness. Midnight at noon. And he cried, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Three hours in the dark. God alone knows what was going on in his heart and in his mind. And at three o'clock, God turned on the sun. And Jesus exclaimed, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now I say those things to try to apply to myself and to you. All of us have some dark times. Some sleepless nights. You may have felt betrayed. You may have been thrown into circumstances that were not of your own doing or choosing. Someone in your life, someone important to you, close to you, is no longer with you. Either here on earth or in heaven. And there is a dark night of the soul. At one time or another, we're always having some experiences at night. The first words of the Bible, first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light the first creation light and then in the prologue the first verses of the gospel according to John the apostle we read echoing the words from Genesis 1, listen. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, the visible expression of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him was not made anything that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not overcome it. Without light, we die. Without light, we die. You remember a number of years ago when they started building buildings without windows, trying to save uh, uh, some expenses, I suppose, in heating and cooling? They built some schools without any windows, built some office buildings. And what they found out was the people that worked there or studied there, after they had been in there a few hours, their capacity dramatically diminished and it was because of a lack of light and they had what came to be known as SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. Without light, you have a seasonal affective disorder. Therefore, life gets disordered. You're not at your best. We were made for light. And without light, physical and spiritual, we die. The other night, oh, it's been about a month ago now. I was, I was, a, it was one night, it was, Martha and I were out by, by the school and there were no, no other lights around much and uh, there was no moon and there just seemed to be more stars than ever. I can remember being out at Alpine when I preached out there a few times at the cowboy camp meeting at Paisano and they've got more stars out there than we do here. It's just, it's just incredible. And we would stretch out on the hood of our cars, lean up against the windshield at night and just watch the heavens. It was simply incredible. And I got thinking one the other night, I thought, what happens, what happens when we can't see the light? And what happens to light when a star dies? And they do. So a week and a half or so ago, I called a professor of astronomy at uh, San Antonio College who directs the planetarium over there. And I said, I'm going to ask you some of the dumbest questions any freshman student ever asks you, but I want to know some things about light. I said, why is it that the astronauts, when they get, uh, when they leave the atmosphere of the Earth, suddenly they can see no stars. It's totally dark. And you've seen pictures of that and uh, read about that or heard that. Once you get out of our atmosphere, you can't see the stars. You can't see the light. He said light can only be seen when it comes through the medium of the, someone's atmosphere. And that is exactly what happens in the incarnation. God has always been from the beginning that light. But because of the incredible spaces of infinity and because of our intellectual incapabilities, we were not sure there was light there and stars there until he came into our atmosphere 
And when he came into the atmosphere, the sphere of your life and mine, suddenly we could see him, God in person, left the celestial glory and came through the darkness of the light, of the darkness of space, came into our atmosphere and we saw the light in the light and the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, but well, well, I, I ask you something else. Um, I said, when the star dies, that star is traveling at 5,878 uh, miles an hour, 78 in a vacuum, a little slower elsewhere, 5,878 miles a second. That means that in a uh, light year, in one light year, light travels approximately 5,878 trillion miles. I said, when the star dies, when the star dies, as they do in radio telescopes and other incredible technical, technical abilities they have, they can determine that. What happens to the light? It keeps going at 5,878 miles a second. But what if, it, what if it, I'm at the end of it and suddenly there it goes, like the caboose on the train. Where does the light go, I asked the professor. He said it goes into infinity. It never stops. Space is endless. God is endless. Listen to what he said. When Jesus spoke again to the twelve, he said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When the star dies, the light continues. When these bodies of ours die, and they will, as stars die, when our bodies die, the light of Christ's Spirit in us, the light of God within us goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever as Hamnet was right. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It goes on forever. He does and we do who walk in his light. Now I ask him another question. I said, why do I see certain colors? Why do I see red in these flowers and green here on this carpet? So there are seven spectrums of light. And he said, uh, when someone has on black, all of the spectrums of light are absorbed in that black. If you have on uh, blue, like I do right now, he said, what, he asked me over the phone, he said, what color shirt do you have on? I said, it's blue. He said, all right, the reason it's blue is because light hits that, hits that fabric, and everything that, everything, every other color except blue is absorbed, and all you see is the blue. 
It's absurd. I said, uh, Doctor, you're you're working on a sermon, and and uh, maybe you didn't know it. I said, and I want to share with you, when Jesus Christ comes, because we cannot see the light until it hits some atmosphere, some object, and then we can see it. It's reflected. When we let Jesus Christ come into our lives, he turns on all the color in us. And the spectrum of God is bigger than the spectrum of light. And you read it in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. When his light comes to fill our lives, all of the colors of God's spirit emanate from us. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and humility and self-control. That's what happens when his light touches us and it reflects from us like a blue suit reflects the physical light. The eternal spiritual light is reflected through our lives and we become the embodiment of the light of God. And that's exactly what Jesus said in the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, you are the light of the world. Why? Because I've turned color on in you. I have come to you. I am the light of the world. I come into your life. You become the light. With all the colors of God's rainbow. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. You, I, we are the light of the world. E. Stanley Jones, that marvelous Methodist missionary to India, writer, speaker, he tells the story of a missionary who went to the South Sea Islands many years ago. And he was there for many years sharing Christ with people that had never heard of him. And they said of him, when he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. We're to bring the light. We are the light. On the Eddystone Lighthouse on the coast of England are written these words, to give light is to save life. To give light is to save life. Let me make up a little parable. Suppose there's this beautiful rock, lighthouse on a rocky promontory jutting out into the sea. And it's a beautiful lighthouse. And all of the people who work there are proud of it. They take care of it. They're constantly painting it. Shining all of the brass. Swabbing all of the floors. Landscaping everything around the lighthouse. And they would get together and talk about, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it beautiful? Oh, 
what a beautiful lighthouse we have. And they just cannot stop working on it. It's a magnificent, beautiful structure, inside and out. And then one evening, one of them asked a question and said, he said, why is it that there seem to be so many ships running aground near the lighthouse? And suddenly it dawned upon them. They'd been so busy taking care of the lighthouse, their light had gone out. And that can happen to a church. It can happen to us. We have a beautiful steeple on this church. And it's lighted at night. But that's not the light that will change lives. It's not the light of the steeple that will touch San Antonio. It's the light of his people who will touch San Antonio. Oh yes, we want to take care of the lighthouse. But the primary function of a lighthouse is to have the light shining bright. Come to the light. Or you are the light. We are the light of the world. How many of you grew up in, uh, most of you probably, many of you, grew up in Sunday school or vacation Bible school? And this is completely unrehearsed. Get ready, Charlotte. Uh, how many of you remember singing this little light of mine? I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. will never be extinguished in this life or the next. 
but will go on into infinity, sharing fellowship with you and with one another.